good morning, everybody. It is great to have you here. Welcome those of you that are in the video cafe and online with us today. We want to welcome you. And if you're new to the church, just so you know that we're one church, one message, many expressions. That means while we're live in this room here, we're also linked over to a video cafe. We have another campus out in Milton, as you've heard. So it's a great way for people to experience church, but in many different venues. I'm going to ask you to get your Bibles out. And if you're a guest today, maybe you don't have a Bible, ushers, if you prepare yourself, hold your hand up real high. And we'll make sure that we get you a copy of the Bible. If you're over in the venues, there should be Bibles there for you. And we'll make sure you get those as well. And thank you for doing that. Ushers, thank you for watching hands. And just keep them up there. They'll get to you. Don't worry. For the rest, grab your Bibles. So get them out. Here's the great news. I've been noticing that we're handing out less Bibles over the weeks. And that's a good thing for us. That means you're bringing your Bibles with you. Or you've memorized them. One of the two. So I'm going to go with the fact that you're bringing them. And I'm going to ask you to get them out. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 6. For those of you that never believed we'd ever get to chapter 6, we're there. Matthew chapter 6. Also for notes, if you want to take notes today in the bulletin, you'll find a hard copy of the notes that you can fill out. Or you can go to uversion.com, look for live events, look up Mississauga. You'll find Portico in Mississauga or Portico Milton, and you can take the notes. And for those of you that love to play on the electronic devices, we've got that available for you as well. Well, by way of introduction, we're in a series that's called Simple Faith. And we've been talking about the message that Jesus was presenting to his disciples, those 12 that he said, come and follow me. And after having prayed to the Father, the Father revealed, these are the ones that I want you to invite. And they became the ones that we refer to as the apostles or the 12 disciples. And Jesus invites them in ancient Palestine up to northern Galilee, near the Sea of Galilee. They go up on the side of a hill. He sits down. And he said, guys, I want you to come and sit with me and we're going to teach. And I'm going to share with you about the kingdom. And we've been looking at the uniqueness of the kingdom of God. And my series has been called Simple Faith. It's not that complicated, but it's hard. Here's the deal. What Jesus teaches isn't all that complicated. To live what Jesus teaches is hard. And that's where the tension always exists. And we've been looking at the teaching of Jesus and then the call for us who want to be followers of Jesus. And some of you, you're new to the journey. You've maybe not quite made a faith decision. Others of you have made a faith decision. And many of you have been following Jesus for a long time. Those of you following Jesus for a long time, have you found sometimes it's a little bit hard to stay track? Yeah, it is. And so the refresher we're going through here is to have a look. What is it that Jesus calls for? Now, over the last two weeks, I want to tie this together intentionally. And if you're taking a few notes, you can track. One of the things I shared a few weeks ago was this. Jesus never eliminates our personal rights. He eliminates our right to make it personal. So I talked about turning the other cheek and being sued, what it meant for imposition and injustice. He doesn't take away personal rights, but he takes away our right to make it personal, which led us into the next part. The teaching the disciples had heard through the experts in the law was this. You have heard it said, love your enemy, or love your neighbor, hate your enemy. And Jesus comes back, he goes, that's wrong. He goes, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So last Sunday, I shared sort of two takeaways. I talk about love unconditionally. Everybody remember that? Oh, for the sake of my self-image this morning, everybody remember that? Yes. Oh, see, I knew you memorized it. All right, we're good. Uh, love unconditionally and pray inclusively. So Jesus said, I want you to love your enemies. I want you to pray for those who persecute you. In a very practical way, I showed you what was taking place in Lahore, Pakistan. Remember those images? And we prayed 
for those that are persecuting our brothers and sisters. And we loved and we gave. I just want to tell you this morning, you blew me away. We gave almost $15,000 through your generosity last week. So go ahead, yeah, give yourself a hand. And so to those 178 families who lost everything, I mean, bricks and mortars are down. They lost everything. So our hands extended. If you didn't get a chance to give yet, you can still go online and give to Pakistan Relief. And that's going right to the hands of the families that need it the most. But what a practical way to bring what Jesus said about loving our enemies and praying for those who persecute us right into a way to apply it. Now, this morning, you're going to see something. I want you to get into Matthew chapter 6, because what Jesus does with these disciples becomes rather interesting. He told them, I want you to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, to be honest with you, sometimes beneath the surface of our lives, and they would find in their lives as well, lurks this whole darker side to our motives and our aspirations. That what appears on the surface to be a really good thing, at times there's a whole secondary agenda. Sometimes we admit it, sometimes we won't, but it's there. And if we don't deal with this agenda, it can destroy our lives. So this morning I want to talk to you, and I've just called this message, The Generosity Illusion. And Jesus touches on some very interesting teaching here. So take out your Bibles. Let's get into the book of Matthew chapter 6. If you're new to the Bible, it's about two-thirds of the way through. So just flip over. If you've gone to John, you're a little too far, just come back a bit. Now, Matthew 6, let me give you the background. Jesus is shifting this conversation with his disciples. He's moving away from the warnings about the experts in the law. And now he's beginning to teach them on acts of righteousness. What does it mean to live this righteous life? He's summed up that we need to live this attitude or the spirit of the law. And he's going to share with them the essential foundations for living in the kingdom of God. Now, here's what's unique. Jesus is going to speak about three things. He's going to talk about alms. That's the giving, mercy giving, alms. He's going to talk about prayer. And he's going to talk about fasting. Now, why is that unique? Because these three pillars of righteousness are not unique to the words of Jesus. In fact, those of you who understand, you know that Islam and Judaism and even Christianity all subscribe to these pillars. And Jesus picks up on something that would be very common for everyone, and he goes, I don't want you to make any mistakes when it comes to the way you live your life, particularly in the giving of mercy, the way that you pray, and the way that you fast. Now, I apologize for speaking about fasting just before lunch because some of you are probably nibbling just to get through the service right now. But I'll touch on that in a few weeks. But this morning, I want to focus primarily on this whole aspect where Jesus talks about the giving of alms. Let's remember something as we're about to read. Uh, And I just repeat this because I want to make sure we all understand. The Bible, the way we read our Bible, if you look in it right now, we didn't, we didn't have originally, in the original copies of the manuscripts, there were no chapters, there were no headings, and there were no verse divisions. We do that. We have that today for the clarity of reading. So we can quickly find a location, we can read it, and we can move on. But when these letters were written, when Matthew wrote the letter, Matthew didn't write chapter 1, verse 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. He didn't do that. He just wrote under the inspiration of the Spirit. Why do I share that? Because when we read chapter 6, what a lot of people do is they'll open their Bible, go to chapter 6, and they'll forget to read the, the end of chapter 5. And the end of chapter 5 informs us of what we're about to read in chapter 6. So the chapters are for us. They weren't for them. And now we're going to read with some clarity. I share that because chapter 5 ended this way. Be perfect 
as your heavenly Father is perfect. Everybody with me? All right. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Look at verse 1 now. And then he says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Now don't miss this. He's now used the word Father repetitiously. He's connected the story for these 12 guys. We're listening over top of their shoulders. And he's speaking to them heart to heart. And he goes, guys, get this. I want you to be perfect like your heavenly Father is perfect. But I want you to be careful. And that immediately should raise a flag. What was Jesus so worried about that he would issue these warnings? And that should raise another question. What should we be careful of in our journey as followers of Jesus Christ. So I want you to go into your notes. I'm going to give you three warnings that come out of this text that I think Jesus was sharing with his followers that apply to all of our lives today. So if you have your notes out or you're going to fill them electronically, we're going to go to the screen for you this morning just to help out. Here's the first warning Jesus gives. Be careful that the quest for perfection does not lead to religious hypocrisy. Now remember the link. 548, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Then he says, now I want you to be careful. And he begins to drive out the fact that when the giving of alms, the expressing of prayers, or the participation in an expression of fasting begins to take place, it is quite possible to take what is a good act of righteousness and pervert it or prostitute it, and it suddenly becomes a form of hypocrisy or unrighteousness. That is shocking to these guys. They're going, these are the pillars of righteousness. To give, to pray, to fast is something everybody would do in their expression of an honest life. And then Jesus slips that underneath and he just goes, now be careful. I want you to be careful with this. And he even, he just, he begins to spell it out. Let's throw the verse up on the screen here so we can track along with it in your notes. Look at verse six, uh, chapter 6, verse 1. He says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness. And here it is, before men to be seen by them. And what he was driving at is, it is quite possible in the ordinary course of our lives that as we strive for perfection, now watch carefully here, he is not saying we strive to be perfect, we strive to emulate perfection like our Heavenly Father is perfect in the giving of love and righteousness, compassion and mercy. But he said it is quite possible as we do these things that the reason behind it, the motivation behind it is really more to be seen by men than it is for the purpose of the act. That what we're really doing, and he uses a word in verse 2, he says he calls it hypocrite, hypocrisy. Now in the Greek word, just for reference to go back a little bit, uh, a hypocrite or hypocrisy was really, in the Greek context, it was about an actor. So an actor would take on a role and then act out in a play. So you'd have like the stage, the actor, and a proper term would be the person right now is a hypocrite because he's not really representing himself, he's representing a role. Everybody with me? So that means for Hollywood, we should not have the Oscars, we should have the hypocrite awards. I don't think that'll fly, but it would be a possibility that we could offer to them. Well, Jesus uses the term because he said, in the ordinary course of life, 
It is quite possible to take that which is a religious, devout aspiration, put it onto the stage of man, and transform it into an expression of hypocrisy, which becomes a very subtle and dangerous form of unrighteousness. And so when you look at faith and you look at life, he's warning his disciples, just be careful of this. Now, they were called to respond appropriately. In your notes, I got a couple of references. Psalm 106, verse 3. Here's what the Bible says. Blessed are they who maintain justice and who constantly do what is right. So we're called into this. The disciples knew this. Look at 1 John 2, 29. John writes this. He said, if you know that He, being God, is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of Him. Not just believes what is right, but who actually does that which is right. So there is the act of righteousness that should be a part of our life. James 2.18. It's in your notes as well. Put it on the screen. James says this, but someone will say, you have faith. I have deeds. And then James responds this way. He says, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. So James is commending. He's going, this is important. The act of righteousness is not what's a question here. What Jesus gets at is the motivation and the, the stage, the hypocrisy that might come with it. So he's warning his followers, I want you to know that as you do your acts of righteousness, don't get caught in the performance treadmill. Don't try to do that which is noticed by other people. And we'll unpack it a little bit deeper as we go along here. So as we walk it out, I think it becomes quite obvious, and I think all of us together would know, we've seen hypocrites. By show of hands, how many of you have seen a hypocrite? How many of you are lying about it right now? No, it's just... <laughs> we've all seen hypocrites. And it's, it's so subtle. It just comes in in such a small way. It's like when at Christmas time, you know when the uh, Salvation Army, they got the little pot at the front door and they're ringing and they want the coins and they want the money, right? And if you're walking up and you're checking your pockets for coins, you really want to give when somebody notices you're there because then they know you're a good person. But if there's nobody there, well, you want to wait for a few people to show up, right? <laughs> now, you don't have to answer that. But it's a very subtle thing because when we do good deeds, we want people to notice we do good deeds. Isn't that true? <laughs> Nobody's going to answer me today. It's going, no, I already read 6, 1 to 4. I know where we're going, Doug. Uh, but there's something inside that calls us out to be an actor where sometimes we really do play for the applause of man, and we're going to look at that carefully. I think it's a little more prevalent than we often want to admit. So one of the ways that we can look at it is when it comes to money, Money just seems to be one of those areas that calls out great forms of hypocrisy. So let's take a humorous look at what happens on a Sunday morning when it comes to the giving of our tithes and our offerings. Watch the screens. I give to God by enjoying what He has given me. Okay? I mean, do you really think He expects something back? Now, I know there's a lot of people at church that would not understand this line of reasoning. That's why, just to make things simple and not to cause any controversy, I like to carry what I call the little empty envelope, all right? You see, when the plate gets passed, I bloop, put it in there like that. The deacon's counting the money. They only know me as the crazy empty envelope guy, but the people sitting around me, clueless. <laughs> I win, they win, God wins. No one gets hurt because no one knows. God knows. Huh? I only agreed to make this video if they promised not to tell you who I am. 
I mean, it's really none of your business. And it's also none of your business how much I give. I'm not going to brag about it, okay? I mean, yeah, it's cool. I just got married and I have a kid, okay? And sure, you know, we get around. We're doing okay. But look, who I am and what I give is its between God and I, okay? I mean, the sacrifices I make are between me and God, and my reward is in heaven. So look, don't try to figure out who I am or what I give, because honestly, it's, it's none of your business. I tithe. Okay, that's a lie. I don't tithe. I want to tithe. That's a lie, too. I don't even think about it. But seriously, you think God's up there like with a big old checklist going, hey, you tithe, you don't tithe? I don't buy that at all. Okay, I kind of buy that. Because what do you say? Give to God what is God's and give to Caesar's what is Caesar's? I don't even know any Caesars. That's a lie. I know four Caesars, even the little one. Oh, in my life, Lord, be glorified in me. I put money in the plate. Wait, wait, wait. Look what I have here. I hope it doesn't interfere. But that everyone can hear how I give with cheer That everyone could be like me And that, of course, was recorded at a different church, not here. So just to be really, really clear, because I know you'd never, ever, ever act like that. But it is amazing, isn't it? When it comes to money, money seems to draw out some of the most severe expressions of hypocrisy, whether we identify them or not. Sometimes they're very subversive and covert, and other times they're a little more overt and expressive. And so Jesus warns his followers, and he just goes, look, as you're trying to be perfect, like your father's perfect, because I know your heart's are being aligned towards that. But there is a subtle power that will draw away to a darker side if you're not careful. And it'll lead you into hypocrisy. Now in the Bible, and if you're in your community life groups and you want to talk about this this week, you can go through scriptures and there's basically three types of hypocrites you can identify. They're the ones that I call the evil ones. They are like the Pharisees who when they came to Jesus, they would use words like, teacher, I have a question for you. But we know from the recording of scripture that all along they intended to trap Jesus. So they had no intention of speaking to him in the context of true respect and learning. They were merely coming in because they wanted to discredit him. So you have this whole evil part of hypocrisy. Then there's the group of hypocrites that are the conceited. They're the arrogant ones. And we're going to learn more about them when we hit Matthew chapter 7. But they're the ones that come along. And they can always seem to pick out faults in everybody else. They see a fault over here and a fault over there and a fault over there. You know anybody like that? Yeah, we see these people. And they see the speck in another person's eye. And Jesus goes, wow, you can pick out a small speck and you can miss the log in your own eye. And he goes, boy, there's a hypocrisy in play here. And it, there's this, almost this self-conceited you know, group of people. Then there's the self-deceived. And there is this group of people who really believe they're moving along in life, doing everything right, and through either not paying enough attention or through the hardness of their own heart or they've been doing it so long they've deceived themselves, he goes, be careful that you're not self-deceived when it comes to this whole area. That's why he says to his disciples, he's seeding into them, you are going to be the leaders of the kingdom. You are the ones that are going to spread the message. You are the ones that people are going to learn all the principles of the kingdom about. So be careful 
that whatever you do, you don't allow this hypocrisy to emerge. Now go back to your notes. I want to go to the next warning that he has here. So not only does he warn him to be careful of that, but be careful that your acts of mercy are not cleverly disguised acts of vanity. So moving from the person of being a hypocrite, let's get in and start looking a little bit at the actual expression. What are the things that they're doing? So the second warning that Jesus gives to his disciples is I want to make sure that when you give, that what you're doing really just isn't a cleverly disguised form of vanity. A little bit like the giving of the envelope and a tithing opportunity. So go back into your notes and look at Matthew chapter 6 and verse 2. And here's what Jesus said. When you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. Now, a little historical context here. I did a lot of research, tried to look at some of the scholars' perspective. What was Jesus talking about? Obviously, it meant something right away to the disciples. Because we don't have people today. Like when we say, let's take up the offering, we don't bring people in, they blow trumpets, and then we ask you all to give your money, and you scramble to the front. But apparently, in the time of first century Jerusalem, there was a manner in which people would give that brought a lot of public acclaim and awareness. So much so that the fanfare is listed right here. What we do know is that often at the temple, so in Jerusalem at the central temple, when a need was prevalent they would sound the ram's horn, they'd sound the trumpet to alert people, you need to come, we're going to respond to something. It is possible, according to some of the scholars, that what would take place here wouldn't be unusual for a shop owner to close a shop at the sound of the trumpet and then race to the temple wanting to be the first in line to show people that they were one of the generous ones. So you would visualize immediately that if a notice was given out, the first ones at the front of the line, they wanted everybody to see, hey, I shut down my business, I'm going to be first in line, I'm going to give, make my donation, and everybody goes, isn't that great? Aren't they the wonderful people? We should applaud those people. There's also some secondary writing back in uh, Jewish antiquity that talked about those that used to give out alms. Some would actually carry money in a satchel on their back, and they would let coins drop for the poor and the needy to pick up. Well, it wasn't so much about the poor and the needy picking it up as it was for everybody else to see that they were walking through the marketplace. It'd be like, you know, people walking today and dropping, you know, coins down and bills down. And, of course, now we'd have to do our debit cards. It doesn't work so well the other way because most of us don't carry cash. What Jesus was driving at is this was what was to be an act of mercy was had, merely had um, descended into becoming an act of vanity. And he goes, when you do that, you've destroyed the essence of what the kingdom of God is really all about. Now here in your notes, just write something down. I want you to look at verse 2. Because Jesus said, when you give, not if you give. This is critical. Jesus fully expected that those who would be his followers wouldn't opt in or opt out of giving acts of mercy or expressions of mercy. So in other words, when an opportunity comes where there's someone who's impoverished, someone who's in need, it is not for us in our heart to go, you know, I don't have as much as those people who are a little more privileged than I am. I don't make as much money as those people do there. And we start to compare. And what we do is we look at our homes and our cars and our bank accounts and everything, and we self-disqualify based upon our assumed position in life. Yet Jesus looks at these who are his disciples who came from all walks of life, and he said, when you give. In other words, he presupposes that all of them were, and they would give, because to be compassionate and merciful is a requirement 
within the kingdom of God. Look in your notes. Deuteronomy 15.11 is a reference, and I'll put it on the screen. Here's what the Bible says. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you, be open-handed towards your brothers and toward the poor and the needy that are in your land. Proverbs 19.17 says, He who is kind to the poor, look at this, he lends to the Lord, and the Lord will reward him for what he has done. So if we're to be perfect like our Father in heaven is perfect, Jesus then says to his disciples, so when you give, in other words, your acts of righteousness should be no different than what your Father has asked others to do. And the reason I state that is we can't opt out of this. We can't say, well, I won't be a hypocrite because I just don't give. He goes, no, that's not how this works. Because all that you have, and we don't have time for the stewardship today, all that we have, all that I have, all that you have, has been given to us by our Heavenly Father. We are stewards of what we have. The next time you get your paycheck, you need to stop and just go, God, thank you that I am a steward of this check. You gave me breath, health, life, and capacity to do what I do, and what I have, I steward for you. And so Jesus said, so when you give, when the opportunity comes, and there's a caution now, He said, make sure your act of mercy does not descend into an act of vanity. Look at Matthew 6, verse 2. Jesus warned. He said, when you do this, I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. That when you play to the applause of man, your your reward is simply that. It is the applause of man. Now, we may think that we can exempt ourselves, but here's what I know. The human heart hungers for instant gratification. We long for recognition, and we like it when people recognize and tell us that we're doing a good job or they appreciate what we've done. Now, there's a difference between commending people and the heart longing, and there's something in our heart, and it's called pride. And pride has a voracious appetite. So when we are going to do our acts of righteousness, Jesus is saying, be careful that pride doesn't slip in and all of a sudden turn what was intended to be a really good thing into something that is really, in essence, evil. And it's not just about money. Why do we use our gifts the way we give? Why do we serve the way we serve? Why do we operate in life? What are the motivations and the thoughts of our heart? Everything needs to be carefully filtered because, remember, it's not about the act, it's about the attitude. This past summer, I was reading a book. It's called Little Princess. Great book. It's uh, Connor Grennan, I think is his name. Yeah, Connor Grennan was the author. And Connor wrote about an experience in his life where he had worked and saved up enough money and he decided that he wanted to travel and spend a year traveling. But before he went out, he felt compelled to serve. So he found over in Nepal an opportunity to work in the orphanages for two months. And then after the two months were over, he was going to travel and for 10 months just enjoy his life, spend his money on himself. And his friends began to challenge him. And they they would just say, well, isn't that a little, you know, you're not really giving a lot of thought to your future, and it's a little bit self-centered. And Connor said in his book, he goes, you know, I would reassure myself that by serving for two months in an orphanage, that gave me permission then to spend 10 months on myself. And he even went on to say, he talked about, he said, you know, when you're in the bar, it's rather impressive when you're telling the girls, I'm going to go work in an orphanage for two months. And they go, oh, isn't that wonderful? He goes, but behind that, was also the thought that I'm actually going to spend 10 months just traveling the world. And he had to come to a point of clarity where he realized I was positioning the orphanage as a way to permission myself to go spend 10 months on myself. And it happens so subtly. 
So much so that if Jesus took the time to warn his disciples, those that would be the leaders in the kingdom, you have to be careful because this will slip in. And for vanity to take over, it'll destroy us. George Carson writes in one of the commentaries, he said, much of our giving is less concerned with meeting needs and pleasing God than it is for earning a reputation of generosity. And the desire to be known for generosity can sometimes replace the deeper, purer motives. Let's go back to our notes. There's another warning Jesus gives. And here it is. So be careful that compassionate generosity is protected by righteous motives. So when you give, is what Jesus said. When you give, and then he goes on to say, so make sure that your compassionate generosity is protected by righteous motives. Where do we see that? Let's go to the verse, Matthew chapter 6, verse 3 and 4. He said, when you give to the needy, here it is, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be done in secret. Now we know that giving is a critical part of our response to humanity. In fact, on the screen, I'll put it up for you, James chapter 1, verse 27. Here it says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this. It's to look after the orphans and the widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. What Jesus is saying and what James picks up on, it's in the peripheral, on the outer uh, perimeter of society, out where we often don't look, where the need is the greatest. It's with the orphan and the widow, those that are often overlooked, that need the greatest act of mercy and compassion. But when we give those acts of mercy and compassion, not only does he say, be careful, that we don't turn those acts into acts of vanity, then he takes it a level deeper. And this is, to me, fascinating. He tells his own disciples, he goes, make sure your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. Is that even possible? Think about that for a moment. Because if it all originates in your brain, how can your left hand not know what your right hand is doing? So I have a little exercise for you today. If you have your checkbooks, I want you to write two checks made payable to me. And put your left hand in front of your back and your right hand behind your back and just write them out. Let's see what happens at the end of the day. How's that sound? No, it's not going to happen. What Jesus was driving at is he's going, I'm looking for secrecy, anonymity, and security in your giving. I want you to make sure that whatever you do, that there's privacy around what you do. So much so that even in your own heart, the motives are pure. You go, well, how does that happen? Well, here's what I do know. There are times that we give, and I'm going to stay on the giving side and, and just because Jesus is dealing with alms. But there are times that we give, and I don't know if it's happened to you, but it's happened to me, where when I finished giving, I feel good about what I just did. Not so much because of what it's going to do for the other person, but it's almost like you give yourself a pat on the back, like that was good of you. You wrote a nice check. You responded to a real good need. And here it is. There is this self-deceived form of hypocrisy where what I've really done is I've taken away the opportunity of my Father to bless me with His rewards because I've already patted myself on the back. And Jesus goes, be careful that your left hand and your right hand don't know what's going on here. Because when you do that, you're actually pulling that back into your own heart and before God, you're really already saying, hey, God, I'm doing pretty good. You've got to be pretty thrilled. Like, I'm one of your really good kids, right? 
You notice children do this with their parents? They like to play off of one. Who's mom and dad's favorite? You ever hear that? I'm the favorite one. And there's a subtleness, even when it comes down to this charitable giving and alms and the responses of compassion, that what we do can actually have some tentacles to it. And we've got to be so careful. Now, I'm going to just broadly sweep through this because I don't think anybody's guilty of this at all, but I just want us to be really careful. One of the things, I've grown up in the church, and so I've watched what happens in the church. And there are times that even in our giving within a church environment, there are little strings that we put on them. And I've been in meetings where we want to ensure that there's a little plaque that's posted underneath something that's been given or some awareness that's given over so a person has a little bit of recognition for what they've done. Is there anything wrong with publicly recognizing people? No, I'm not saying that. But I think it should come from those that choose to give the recognition. When we give with the understanding that there's something connected to it, we talk about giving with strings attached. And it happens even in our compassionate response. And there are times that we might be guilty of giving, not so much so for the need that's represented, but we're really trying to go, hey, God, did you just take notice of what I did there? Isn't that pretty good? And what Jesus gets at is, you know the best way to live? The best way is when your left hand and your right hand don't know what's taking place. And how that happens is when your heart is so focused on your Father and living like your Father that what you do almost becomes second nature and unconscious to you. Much like when you get in your car to drive home today, you won't pay a lot of attention to turning left, turning right, turning left, turning right, and parking your car. You'll just do it because it's second nature. And Jesus was getting at when your acts of mercy become second nature to you, and you're no longer worried about whether somebody else saw you or whether you just whispered up a quick prayer to God and said, did you take notice? Jesus goes, then you've got this right. He said, then you're in a place where your second nature response and your habit is so pure that my Father wants to give you a reward. And by the way, it's not necessarily in cash like the little card on the screen. God will determine how to respond. And we know the Bible says that God will judge each of us for all that we have done. And it's up to Him. Somebody who really deeply impacted my life in this whole area. It was just two years ago. And I was seated in the Global Leadership Summit. Many of you were there as well. And there was a lady by the name of Mama Maggie. And she came from Cairo, Egypt. She lived a privileged life. She was the daughter of a doctor. And she had whatever she wanted. She could travel through Europe, enjoy the best of the best. And then one day God tapped her on her shoulder and called her to live in the slums and the garbage heaps of Cairo, Egypt to reach out to the children. And when she walked onto the stage, and those of you that saw this, I saw the live presentation Rarely in my life can I tell you, when someone has entered a room, I felt like Jesus walked in. But when that woman walked in, a hush fell in that place because there was such a presence of the Spirit of God. And when she began to spoke, to speak, I felt like I was the most impure person ever because the purity that rolled off of her lips of what God called her to challenged me in a deep way. I want you to watch and listen carefully to her words. The second step was to sell everything and follow him if I really want to be his disciple. As the youngest daughter of a doctor, I enjoyed affluent lifestyle 
God has blessed me so much. I always like to have music, singing, playing, sports, traveling to Europe every year to get the best fashion dress, wearing jewelry, and I really always like to be elegant. And later, I found to be elegant comes from inside is to love. And true love is to give and forgive. To give until it hurts. True love is to give. 548, be perfect like your Heavenly Father is perfect. And then be careful so that you make sure that you're giving, your compassionate generosity is done with right motives. She would go on to share words like this, when God wanted to promote me, he sent me to the poorest of the poor. She summed it up by saying, with God's grace I left everything and I found him waiting for me with a crown of love. And by walking away, and you could just tell in her own demeanor, she wasn't there because a crowd of people had gathered in to hear her speak. She was there out of the purest of ambitions to represent what God was doing and how the transformed heart of a child is truly the greatest gift of love you can give a person. And so this morning, as we look at what Jesus speaks to his disciples, he reminds us, just make sure that your motives are pure, they're righteous, that your left hand and your right hand, they just don't know what's taking place. And if we get this right, There is a reward. There's a moment that's going to come, and Jesus references it in one of the parables he talks about, where the king speaks to those that are in his kingdom. I want you to listen to the words. I'll put them on the screen, but it's out of Matthew 25. And here's what it says. Then the righteous are going to answer the king, or they'll answer God. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and we clothed you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth, that whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. Or to summarize it a different way, I tell you the truth, that whenever you act with acts of mercy and compassion, and they become second nature, and they are not for the accolades of man, and they're not to earn the merit of the Father, he said, then you have done for me all that I have intended for you. That's the gift that earns the approval and the merit and the favor of God. So now you connect chapter 5, verse 48 to chapter 6, verse 1, where Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And then he goes on, he says, and then your Father will reward you for what he sees you do. I think John the Baptist, of all in the Scriptures, he got this one right. Because when Jesus began to rise in prominence as he ministered and his popularity shift was growing and John's disciples came to him worried about losing their place and position and they began to question John the Baptist and John simply made one powerful statement. I have this one underlined and highlighted in my Bible. It's just that important to me. John made one statement. He said this, He must become greater and I must become less. And that, friends, is the essence of simple faith. It's not that complicated, but sometimes it's harder than we think. Amen? Let's pray. So, Father, this morning, I pray that you would help us to take 
what Jesus shared with those that were the closest to Him. And as He began to shape their spiritual trajectory to ensure that in their lives they would not succumb to the forms of hypocrisy that were so apparent all around them. And He gave them some simple warnings and some direction that as they do their acts of mercy and as they do their acts of righteousness, the very things that are the elements of a righteous life that we're called to, but as they do them, that they don't get caught up and actually become derailed to a secondary mission. I pray this morning that the same would be true for every one of us here. That this week, in the next day, in the next five days, in the next seven days, and in the years to come, that we would truly understand what it is to be a disciple of yours. Help us to have that second nature response that doesn't seek the applause of men, that we don't pat ourselves on the back, but inside we're just second nature. It is the habit of a follower of Jesus to do what we do. And I pray that be true for everyone in this room and everyone listening to my voice. And I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So this week, as you go under the blessing of God, live as His disciple, but don't do it for the applause of man. God bless you. Have an incredible week. We'll see you on Friday.